In this show, I chat with Dan Willis about building communities of customers and producing engaging content. It's all about understanding who your customer is, finding out where they hang out, and then listening and talking to them. Can customers become an audience? Welcome to episode 208 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy and keynote speaker from Edinburgh. Talk to me if you want to cut the BS and the complexity from your marketing strategy. Hello and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. I'd like to thank you so much for downloading or streaming the show. I really do appreciate you taking the time to plugging me and my guests into your earphones. Do you ever think of your customers as a community? Do you ever think of your customers as an audience? It's perhaps not a concept that we Brits are as comfortable with as our partners across the pond. My guest this week is Dan Willis, a digital marketer who talks a lot about community and a lot about an audience, but it is still all about understanding the customer and engaging with them. So let's get straight into this week's interview with Dan right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Dan Willis, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Hey, how's it going? A pleasure to be here. Fantastic, Dan. Listen, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know that you're across the pond in the United States, so you're at least five hours behind me, which means it's relatively early in the morning for you. Yeah, first thing in the morning, I'm one of those early birds where you get up and I've got this tendency to just want to talk and and be social with the people over in the EU. And the best way to do that is to get you guys first thing in the morning. Thanks for coming on the show. And we're talking over Zoom and we're going to have a look at, obviously, the topic of digital marketing today. But you've got some quite interesting views on community and, and the sort of social media and digital platforms that companies should be using to communicate with their customers. But before we get into that, Dan, give me a little bit of background about yourself, where you came from, how your career developed, where you're going, and, and basically what makes Dan Willis tick? Probably about 15 years ago, I started into business systems. So very traditional business analytics, uh, understanding the different systems as they apply. So human resources, financing, accounting. And I would go into broken down businesses and say, okay, how can we fix this? And unfortunately, more often than not, the problem turned out to be people, which led to a young 20-year-old firing people that may have been there for 20, 30 years. You can imagine that getting old fairly quickly, not being the most popular guy in the room. So took a couple of years off and really dove into marketing because that's where my passion was, that taking a brand and and engaging that with a, a group of people that were passionate about whatever it is that you were doing. Started to play with that, went out to the West Coast in the US uh, just around the time that Facebook was really taking off for businesses. MySpace was still kind of around. And at that point, I realized this is going to be a major thing. Businesses are going to need to understand how this is used effectively. And so I plugged away and did what most people did at the time with those tools is just started to plug brands into them. And it wasn't necessarily ads at first because organic reach was so good and just teaching businesses how to use this effectively. How do you show yourself well? How do you use it essentially as a giant digital billboard? And probably about five years ago, I realized that regardless of paid ads, regardless of the digital billboard, there was a piece lacking and it it was lacking industry-wide. 
And what I found was there was a major disconnect between the opportunity that the internet provides as far as relationship building and how brands were using it as a billboard. And so I really started to analyze and break down, okay, how do we use internet so it's less of a billboard and more of a conversation? And what really just popped out of that was, okay, we can build relationships regardless of whether it's a, an entrepreneur or a solopreneur or a big band, a big brand, a big corporation, we can still build relationships between that brand and between the community that they serve. And this is how we go about doing it. And I started to look at all the different platforms and how they could be used in different ways. So uh, Twitter's very real time. They've got great video options for video reply. Facebook had groups at the time that were fantastic to plug in and converse as a brand. Started really plugging away at that, figuring out how it worked. Uh, now that's that's essentially my bread and butter where I spend most of my day helping brands understand the power of engaging a community first, understanding who they are, what they're about, what their needs are, and then transitioning into how are we going to market to them? Yeah, I think interestingly in that you use that phrase billboard because it's one of the conversation that comes up with my clients all the time and uh, quite a lot of the people that I work with are UK financial services companies and I don't know whether you know much about financial services in the UK but it's very heavily regulated and particularly heavily regulated around the advertising that you can do and this creates almost like a level of paranoia amongst financial services companies. Some of them actually won't touch social media at all. They are not on Twitter, they're not on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever it is, because they're frightened that potentially they may fall foul of those regulations, that they may put something out which doesn't comply with the regulations. And I I almost had this, this epiphany moment one day when I was talking to a marketing manager from a financial services company company and I'd, I'd been employed by them to have a look at putting together a social media strategy for them and, th and this gentleman said to me well whatever we decide to do every single tweet every single Instagram post or every single social media post will have to be signed off by the full regulatory committee and, and my initial view of that was well that's a bit dumb because you'll be wanting to respond to people almost instantaneously as you say especially on twitter and you can't have somebody take 48 hours to prove a tweet which might just say thank you for the compliment or yeah we'll get back to you or whatever it was but it, it was exploring that conversation a little bit more to try to get him to articulate why everything would have to be signed off so rigorously and that was when the penny dropped that I knew that he just saw social media as another billboard, as another advertising channel. And of course, if you were to put a financial services advert up on a billboard, it would have to go through all the rigorous advertising checks. But if social media is more of a social interaction, more of a conversation, then you, you, you're not using it as an advertising platform and therefore the rules don't necessarily need to apply and I think that that's one of the problems potentially that companies have with social media is that they don't see it as social media they just see it as another advertising channel and it's getting over that problem in their mindset that often prevents them from moving forward. Yeah, so I, I've worked with financial sectors here as far as investments go. Uh, insurance agents is another one. I've worked with companies that operate in firearms, and they actually have a really hard time with that that regulatory approach, right? Yeah. And and the question that I often ask them is, 
I, I understand. And I've, I've had that same pushback of, well, we need to have an approval process for this. And my question to them is, what's the approval process if somebody were to walk into one of your stores or one of your, your, your brick and mortar locations and have a conversation? Would you have somebody there monitoring that conversation, ensuring that your agents or whoever may be there, a salesperson, is, is every single comment is being regulated to a certain standard? Or do you trust that you've set out a clear guideline for your for your internal community, your your employees, and stating this is what we're about, this is what we can do, this is what we can say, and now we trust you as professionals to go out and have these conversations along these guidelines. And right away, when you when you're able to to defunct that that concept of well, this is a billboard, and instead it's a digital conversation, things start to start, they really start to snowball and they start to make some forward momentum of, oh, now we get this. These are actual people we're talking to. We're having conversations. These are actual people in their homes, in their businesses. And the opportunity is as though they had walked into our business when we start to talk to them online. Absolutely. And and you wouldn't go into a pub or a coffee shop and somebody might come up to you and, and open a conversation and say, hey, Dan, I know that you work for XYZ company. Uh, I really like what you're doing in this sector. And you wouldn't turn around to them and say, thank you very much, but I can't reply to you until I've got my reply signed off by the management committee. So do you just want to hang around here for 48 hours while I go and get my answer complied? He'd just laugh at you, wouldn't he? Yeah, and it, it's crazy that the, so much fear has been built up around this. And I think a lot of it has to do with the media and you see the backlash on the networks themselves. So you see Facebook taking a big hit across the EU, but also over here in North America. You see a lot of concerns popping up around tools like Snapchat. And I think a lot of that is reasonable, but I think there has to be somebody in the building, somebody at the executive level that is going, okay, guys, listen to what's actually being said here. These are people that work for the social networks and that's where that fear is coming from. And it has to do with how they are maintaining their social networks. It doesn't really apply to the businesses that are using it. The concern is more so for the people that are creating these apps and using these apps. For us internally, we just need to train our staff the same way we always have. They know what they can discuss publicly and they know what they need to discuss privately. And as long as that's a very clear understanding, go to town, guys. Have a blast. I think it's the guidelines that you need to put in place. As you've said, let people know what they can say. Let people know what they can't say. But once they understood those boundaries, once they understand those boundaries, then as you say, get out there and have a conversation with your customer because you can learn so much about the market that you're in, about the industry you're in by having those conversations with your customers that ultimately the the experience of the customer will improve because you're hearing what they're saying. You're getting that live feedback. And, and that's one of the first things that I love to do with a client is when when you hop on with a client, they go, okay, great. So we need to create video and we got to create blogs. And we need a podcast and we need, and to put the brakes on immediately and say, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> let's slow down. First, who are you talking to? Who, who is your community? What are the conversations that you're currently having? And to hear the crickets that bounce back off the wall <laughs> And to, to say, you know, uh, maybe it would be good first for us to really understand who it is that we're having a conversation with. To use the pub analogy again, it would be awkward for you to be just generally yelling across the pub and nobody really knows who you're talking to. Mm. Uh, it, would be, it would be rude. It would be obnoxious. And I, I very much doubt it would be effective in any way. So I, I really love to do that with the brands and say, listen, it's not let, let's just stop the idea of creating anything 
until we understand who it is that you're creating for. Who is it that you're trying to serve? Who, who do you want to talk to? And what are the things that they're talking about? And it's amazing to see eyes open where they go, oh, is social media used for that? Are we able to do that? I think we have a problem these days, or my opinion is that we have a problem. And maybe it's as a result of the accessibility of digital marketing technology now and social media and video and podcasting and, and, and everything that we can do really cost effectively is that maybe we've forgotten about some of the more strategic elements of the marketing mix. Like you say, who is your customer and working out who they are, working out what their problems are, and building a product and a solution to meet that problem, to solve that problem. And then once you've done that, and you've set yourself a few goals, and you've worked out how much it's going to cost, then you can start saying, we might want to communicate this message to them on Twitter, and that message to them via video, and this other message to them via email. But I just get this sense today that a lot of companies are diving straight into the, I want to be on Twitter, I want to be on email, I want to be doing video, before they've actually answered those first and very most important questions. Yeah, one of the things that I bring out constantly, whether it's it's speaking on a stage or, or speaking to a client, is the idea that people will never be obsolete in the process. Yeah. And, and what I mean by that is uh, tools are constantly evolving. And like I said, when I started, MySpace was big, right? That, that was the big thing everybody was talking about. Now we're talking about YouTube and how to use Facebook Watch and Instagram is blowing up. And what about TikTok and all, all of these new tools? But the reality is five years from now, some of these tools won't exist. Some of them will exist, but not in a way that we would recognize today. The, the tools are constantly going to be evolving and constantly growing and changing. And the reality is you can constantly try to play catch up or, or jump on the hype train for the latest, greatest thing. But if you don't understand the people that you're trying to serve, it doesn't matter how great the tool is. There's going to be a disconnect for sure. And I, I think one of the biggest things that companies miss out on is the data side of things mm -hmm. and, and, and the advanced search platforms that social media can be to deeper understand what people want. People share everything on social media, absolutely everything. It, it, it's insane when you use Twitter's advanced chat properly, how often you'll see needs popping out for your industry, just jumping out into the feed. I, I'm a small business over here in the UK and we're struggling as far as managing our accounting properly. And it seems like it's like, wow, this person is actually being open and transparent. And clearly they've hit a wall where they need some assistance. What a perfect opportunity for the brands that are listening to hop in and say, that really sucks. Would love to get it on a call and figure out how to help you. I think that's so true. And, and again, if you think about social media purely as a broadcast medium, you're never actually going to sit back and simply listen. But as you say, if you do sit back and simply listen, you are going to learn so much about your potential customer. One of the one of my favorite little tricks, um, and and I still I tell people this, even today people don't know you can do this, is to actually put a search term into Twitter and put a question mark after the search term. And what Twitter then does is it gives you all the tweets that include your search term that people have posed as a question. So I guess um, let's think of a really um, quick example. Um, somebody somebody puts in the search term cupcake question mark. Then you might get a load of tweets back saying, 
where can I buy the best cupcakes in Pittsburgh? Or um, what's the what's the best icing? Uh, what's the best orange icing you've ever had on a cupcake? Or something like that is a bit of a silly example, but you get the idea. You get those tweets that people are using to ask questions, and that gives you two things. It means that you can either dive in and answer those questions and start a conversation with the individual, or it gives you ideas for content that you could then use to promote your business. Yeah, and I think that that's a really important aspect to any dialogue. Uh, take even this podcast where we're doing this right now. If if you greeted me to the podcast and then you talked for an hour about the subject and I just kind of sat here, I, we're missing such a massive opportunity in that and vice versa. If you invited a guest on and I just talked for the full hour and, and we never had a dialogue, it, it does a disservice not only to you and I, but to all the other people that could have benefited from what we did here. And I think that's the biggest one that breaks my heart for a lot of brands that are out there is when you don't engage, when you're not listening and then having that conversation and you are creating content, the community as a whole will suffer as a result of that. The opportunity not only to help those that are crying out for, for some kind of assistance, but there's many more that you may have missed in the feed or simply didn't post, but they're going through that same struggle. And I think, I think you nailed it there where it, it may be an immediate response to a single individual. But that also becomes your content calendar in a very powerful way where you're not creating content by picking, you know, uh, an idea out of a hat that's got 50 ideas that your team put in there. Instead, you're allowing your community to dictate your content calendar. And that's actually going to provide a lot more value for a business long term, I think. So let's examine this concept of community a little bit more, Dan. Maybe talk to me a little bit about the process you go through with a customer. Now, you've already said that you like them to identify who their customers are and their customers' needs, all of those things that I preach as well, and I've been going on for years and years. But take me through the process as as to how you help people define their community and reinforce the importance of that community as they develop their business. Yeah, so the first general kind of teaser question is about the community, but the immediate follow-up when most people don't have that community identified is, well, who are you? Mm. Who, who's your brand? What, what is your message? What is your voice? What are your passions? What is, what, what's the ethic side of yourself? Uh, a, a quote that I carry with me constantly, and this is old school, uh, Socrates threw out know thyself. Mm. And this was a really simple but very poignant, deep point When your brand doesn't know who you're engaging with, I find often the issue isn't the community. The issue is the brand doesn't know itself very well. Mm. Um, There are are some really well-established brands in the world like Nike that have a very clear understanding of what their ethics are, who they're attached with, what they are about, what their passions are. And that is reflected well with how they serve their community. So often I'll reach into the brand and say, great, we don't know who you want to serve yet because we don't know who you are yet. So let's go through that. What are the basis of what's your passion? Who, who do you serve? What's your product for? But why are you doing that? You could have 12 different financial companies, all with a different uh, vision, a different uh, motivation for why they do what they do, and a different way that they go about doing it. And, and when you identify that clearly, what is your digital persona? What is your brand's persona? When you've got that really down and nailed out, then the community that you're a part of naturally starts to take full, right? You start to understand very clearly, oh, well, we serve these people because we are these people. These, these people relate to us because we have so much in common. We believe the same things or we're looking for the same things or we're passionate about the same things. And so for a brand, that's a big, big part of what I do is plugging in and saying, okay, well, let's, let's hammer down what you guys are about first 
And then let's find out where you fit inside of a community. It would be similar to a sports team, right? And uh, typically I use hockey, but let's let's use soccer as an example. If you've got a goalie that's playing a forward position, things are kind of out of whack. You need to understand which position on the field your team is in order for it to plug into the community effectively. And I, I think that that's really the power of brands taking the time to understand this is, okay, great. So we're talking about conversations between two people. We know that we need to know our community, but until we know who we are and what we want to talk about, uh, we're not going to know where we fit into the dialogue as far as the community goes either. So assuming that we know that now, we've, we've, we understand our position, we understand our brand, we've done the other work that we talked about in defining the customer, the customer's issue and the product or service that the that meets that customer need and issue. What's the next step? How do we start to build this community? Is that all about social media and content now? Some of it is social media and some of it is content and some of it is the real world. And I know that kind of gets scary for folks, but ideally what you're looking to have happen is you're trying to get brands to understand that digital and the real world are not disconnected. They're two parts of the same coin, right? Mm. Two sides of the same. Uh, essentially what a brand is trying to do is take a digital interaction and turn it into a real world relationship. And, and when people start to understand that, the question then becomes, where are you having conversations online that are effective in making this transition from digital to real world? And this is where that dialogue of, well, which tools are we supposed to be using? What style of content are we supposed to be using? And the response for me is there is no one size fits all answer for brands out there. Mm. And I think that's what a lot of brands are expecting these days. And you, you touched on it briefly with new tools that come out and brands all rush there. It, it's like watching lemmings run off a cliff, <laughs> right? Everybody let's go. Here we go. We don't know where we're going. And then by the time you realize it, you've stepped off the cliff with the 10 people ahead of you. And I, I think what brands need to start to analyze is, yes, there are a lot of tools out there that are effective. Are they effective for us? Do they resonate with how we speak, what we have to say, what we're passionate about? And is that style of content going to engage our community? Are they there? Uh, a simple example that I can give is there was a, a brand that I work with that worked predominantly with a female demographic from 30 to 40. And they're, they're on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and Instagram. They're all over the place. And, and my question to them was, are you on Pinterest? And they looked at me like I was speaking Greek. Mm. And my response was, well, do you know that the, the the core demographic that you serve, the community that you're serving, are the major chunk of the platform over on Pinterest? That's where your community lives. Why aren't you seizing the opportunity to create conversations there versus somewhere like Instagram, where it's a much younger demographic? And while you can still have conversations, they're not going to be nearly as productive to what you're doing and who you're looking to serve as if you spend that time over on Pinterest. And it's amazing to see them open their eyes and go, wow, you're right. We could we could keep trying to force the issue on something that isn't quite the right fit, or we could just go where a conversation is really fun and, and easy to have, right? It, it'd be the difference between you, you landing in a, a foreign place, not speaking the language and trying to converse with people versus going down to the, the, the local store where you know the people that are there and, and having conversations with people that are familiar with you and the language that you understand about the things that you understand. And of course, if you've gone through that process that we described earlier, where you do define your customer and their needs, etc., then you're going to understand on the whole where they hang out so that you can use those tools and those 
um, social media platforms, if that's what it is, to com- converse with them. It's when you don't understand the customer and where they hang out that you end up just taking this scattergun approach, which might land a bit of a, um, a conversation here sometimes, but tends to actually miss the mark quite a lot. Yeah. And, and I think it drives the style of content as well. And we, mm. we've said that a couple times here. We're here on a podcast. We've mentioned video. Blogs are another one. And, and people are, are kind of wrestling with, well, how, how, do I, how do I speak? How do I talk? And, and the question is, is almost laughable when you understand your community because you'll, you'll be listening and seeing how they use the platforms. If your community is using video like a madman, then guess what? you're gonna create some quality video in order to engage in that dialogue. If, if you're working with a demographic that absolutely does not use video at all, but they love to consume great blog content, then guess what? Your brand's diving in full tilt on a blog. It, it drives me nuts. And, and Gary Vee is a guy that's pretty big over here. And he put out a, a podcast the other day where he was saying, if something's working for you, double down on that. Stop trying to just well, I'm going to do a little bit of everything and most of it's going to be done poorly because it's not engaging. And the thing that's working really well, I'm not going to give the attention that it deserves. Uh, Instead, when you're creating content, if you know your community and how they like to discuss things, whether it's whether it's Twitter or whether the content specifically is they like to listen to podcasts or they like to watch videos or they like blogs or maybe they, they like short form content. They just like to have a, a Twitter conversation through a Twitter chat. Great. But the more that you understand that, the more effectively you can double down on that content and produce some really amazing results that provide the opportunity to transition into real world interaction. Do you think there's a danger here that we become overly reliant upon things like Twitter and Facebook and Pinterest and Instagram and all the platforms that we've uh, mentioned? I think quite uh, topically and quite recently, we've seen some pretty long outages on both Facebook and Instagram that have had people sitting there thinking, oh my God, I can't communicate with my customers anymore. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Do you think we take that risk that we become over-reliant upon these platforms and should we be building our pitch in our own space, on our own websites? Yeah, so for me, what interested me when the Facebook and Instagram outage happened was I, I have a bunch of friends and associates, as I'm sure you do, in the industry, and they were lighting me up. What are we going to do? Our clients are bombarding us. What, what's going to happen next? And I went, that's odd. I, I haven't had a single phone call. I haven't <laughs> had a single message from any of my clients. And and they said, well, we don't understand. Why is that? And I said, well, because my clients are engaged in a community first. They're not reliant on any single tool. Instead, they know that they've built a relationship with their community. And whether Facebook disappeared tomorrow or not, they would still be engaged with that community. And so for for that, I definitely think it does have to come back to our own property. So I'm a huge fan of if you're going to create content, don't outsource it. Don't include a middleman. If you're going to write a fantastic blog article, don't put it on LinkedIn. Don't, don't use LinkedIn articles to create it. Host it natively on your website and then post it into your social networks. You definitely want to bring people home. You want to bring people back to your house, right? Yeah. Um, when you invite people over for dinner, you don't take them out to McDonald's. You, 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 you allow them to come home with you and enjoy your company in a place that's familiar to you. And I think that that's what has to happen with the digital relationship too, is this idea of a constant transition. Most of my clients are, are, are through word of mouth, but as I'm coaching entrepreneurs on how to find clients, I tell them you need to transition very smoothly from whatever social media network you're using, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, 
and then bring it into a place where you can have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. Now, that may be through DMs, or it may be through something like a Zoom call. It could be through a traditional phone call for those of us that still aren't afraid to get on the phone and have a conversation. Um, but whatever it is, you, you need to take it off of just the digital space in a public environment. And instead, you need to start having those one-on-one -on -one conversations. And a really nutty thing is going to happen. When outages happen, when networks go down, you're not going to lose your mind. You know that your email list is there. You know that you have a long Rolodex of phone numbers somewhere that are engaged relationships that you've had one-on-one -on -one conversations with. It really deflates a lot of the fear around what if. When you know people are the priority and not the next great tool, you're constantly going to be equipped for success. And do you think people are a little bit afraid of putting stuff on their own websites and, and linking to it from social media? Because, of course, we hear the great big A word, the algorithm. If you post a link from LinkedIn to your own website, it's very likely the LinkedIn algorithm will bury your post so deep nobody's going to see it anyway. And I, I think that's true. If your whole platform is built around the digital billboard concept, right? Mm. If all you're doing is spewing into the feed, then yes, the algorithm's going to hit you hard. But if you have created a community and you're readily engaged in that community, so you're not just creating content all the time, but you're also engaging with other people's questions and you're involved, the algorithm can go at it all at once. But the reality is every platform out there today rewards engagement with reach. And I want to say that again so everybody gets that. Every social media platform today, every algorithm rewards engagement with reach. So if you're involved with a community and you're constantly having dialogues back and forth with them on their content, they will always reciprocate. A, a community that's not uh, disingenuine, a community that's been built over time, that has legitimacy, you're going to see dialogues back and forth on that content. And it's going to provide you that assurance that it doesn't matter which platform I'm on. If I've built a community that's having conversations, there will be engagement on the content that goes out. And if there's engagement on the content that goes out, not posting natively isn't going to be a big issue because the platform's going to want to share your content that's creating conversation. Rewarding engagement with reach. That is such an important takeout. Now, this is usually the part of the podcast where I ask you, what's the one big thing that you'd like the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast to take away from all the experience you've had with digital marketing over the last 15 years? But it could well just be what you've said. Have you got anything else you'd like to build on that? Yeah, relationships can be scary. And this is something that's true in the real world and it's something that's true uh, in the digital space. A lot of people are afraid to enter into new relationships because they're unfamiliar. You're not sure what might happen. Something great may happen, but something terrible might happen too. And I think as adults, as brands, as, as businesses, what we need to do is understand any downside on the internet. And we know what we're talking about, the, the toxicity, the trolls out there, the, the, the deterrence, the people that we don't like can be solved with the click of a block button. The rewards that come from making new relationships between your brand and the community that you serve far outweigh anything that could happen as far as the negative goes. So I'd really love for anybody that's listening right now that is hesitating about putting in the time to create some legitimate relationships with a digital community, it's worth it. The time that you put in is worth it. It's lasting, it's beneficial, and it will translate into a stronger business in the real world as well. 
If you are capable of making successful digital relationships, you also will be that much the stronger when it comes to real world relationships. And I know in the finance, in anything that is sales, finance, agency related, your ability to create great conversation and relationship in the real world is very, very powerful. Fantastic. Dan, I always like to finish the podcast with a couple of quick fire questions about the difference between beautifully simple marketing and ridiculously complex marketing. So question one, give me an example of a marketing campaign or product that's caught your attention for being beautifully simple, even if it was from one of your competitors. Tell us what it was and what you liked about it. Burger King recently in North America went back five or 10 years into the social feeds and targeted major key influencers across Twitter's platform. And what they did was they started to comment on posts that were 10 years old. Everybody, Casey Neistat, all of these big influencers started to respond to these these tweets from Burger King saying, what is Burger King doing? Mentioning us from 10 years ago, what's going on? Burger King was genius in this. They were re-releasing a product, funnel cake or something from 10 years ago. And they used all of this massive exposure from a couple of tweets in order to drive advertising to this product that they were re-releasing. And I thought that was such a simple way of going about this was they didn't pay all of these influencers for their their time and their, their attention. Instead, all they did was they went into the feeds, they looked for something of relevance, they knew who their community was and what they wanted to talk about, and they dropped a single comment. And for it, they received millions and millions of dollars of exposure on Twitter from major influencers with hundreds of millions of followers. And, you know, I saw that Casey Neistat actually did one of his videos about the whole thing, didn't he? He's saying, what's going on with Burger King? What's going on with Burger King? But he told the story. And as you say, I mean, he's got millions and millions and millions of followers. So, yeah, a genius and beautifully simple thing to do. And at the other end of the scale, Dan, gives an example of marketing madness, something stupidly complex or needlessly bloated. Yeah, so the fashion industry right now is kind of blowing my mind with how complicated they're making things. And they're actually seemingly trying to drive attention to brands through negative attention. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why they're doing it, but it seems really complicated and it, it, it has to go off perfectly in order to work. And it's insanity. So what they're doing is they're creating uh, racially charged or uh, stereotypically charged advertising around products. So they'll have, uh, they've had a couple blowouts where somebody will create clothing for a monkey and put that on a small, young African-American child. Mm. And, and it had a massive backlash. And somebody actually went, well, they're the fifth or sixth fashion brand to do this this year. And the reality is one brand did it and whether it was intentional or accidental and everybody saw how much notice that brought the brand and subsequently it actually increased their sales because everybody was talking about the brand. And for me, this is a really complicated and twisted approach to marketing where essentially what you've said is we are going to be offensive simply because it creates awareness of our brand and hoping that that awareness outweighs the detrimental backlash from what we've done. I think that's a really complicated, it's a really twisted and unethical approach to marketing. No, I don't like that at all. I mean, sometimes you're going to come up with a campaign that might be, I would say, I would describe in the UK as Marmite. You either like it or you don't. But if you put something out there that you genuinely know is going to upset a 
major proportion of your potential customers, then I just don't think it's worth the risk of the backlash that you might get and the number of people that you might alienate as a result. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Dan, it's been fascinating to talk to you this afternoon or this morning, depending upon which time zone you're living in. Um, The time has absolutely flown by, and I'm hoping that the people listening to the show might want to get in touch with you today. So to finish off, tell me, how should people get in touch and connect with you? So as always, my website, www.millennialmotivator.ca. And Twitter. You can find me on Twitter under Millennial Motivator as well. If you throw that in the search bar, I'll pop up. I give a video reply to everybody that reaches out to me on Twitter just to let you know that I acknowledge who you are and I appreciate the conversation. Fantastic. Dan, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Let me wish you every success for the future. I usually say to people, and if we're in the same town as each other at some point in the future, let's get together for a beer or a coffee, given you're at least seven thousand, six or 7,000 miles away. Possibly not going to happen in the immediate future, but if it does, that beer's on me. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. I'll catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.